This is Season 1, Episode 7 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop podcast focusing on maximizing your game, whether you're a game master or player. Tonight's episode, Creating a Campaign, or You're Not Writing a Novel. Welcome, everyone, to Mastering the RPG. Again, like I said, a RPG podcast focusing on maximizing your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player. Whole point is advice, ideas, cool stuff found, and some strong opinions. We hope everybody gets something out of it. I'm Carl with my co-hosts Eric and James, and you'll find all our information at MasteringTheRPG.com. That's one word. And if you've got email, feedback, questions, you want us to solve a problem, Email us at GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. Hey, guys. It's great to, well, see you and hear you. How are you doing? I'm well, Carl. How's it going? Going fabulous. Going fabulous. Welcome back. Yeah. You've come back from, I know we don't like to time this too much, but back from Gen Con. <laughs> How was it? Gen Con was fantastic. I ran four events, um, and they all went fabulously. They were all Savage Worlds. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> some good feedback. And I actually recorded some video for a music video I'm putting together, which will come out soon. <laughs> um, I know you guys just started a campaign too, right? Or restarted your campaign as well. Well. <laughs> We've just had to put our campaign on hiatus for a little while, unfortunately, which is a little bit sad. We, um, my, my movements have changed, so we're going to see what we come up with in the next few weeks. But um, as per usual, I'm running... What I'm up to now, seven ga- campaigns at the moment. So, Madman. Um, Madman. Yeah, yep, it is. gets a little bit crazy, but yeah. So always Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu to run. That is a lot. I don't think my brain could keep that much. I, I'd mix them all up and people would be wondering what I was talking about constantly. So. Yeah. All right. So, hey, yeah. um, you know what? As always, we've got a cool thing to talk about. We have cool stuff found. Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over. (laughs) All right. Cool stuff found. Um, So tonight we've got um, something really interesting, a great book. Um, I won't steal the thunder of James. Uh, Go ahead. Tell us all about this awesome book that you have. Yeah, we. Uh, I finally a, a, a Kickstarter matured. Is that what you say when when they when they finally deliver their stuff? But um, I've been a big fan of uh, of this author for a number of years. This is one of the reasons why I can run seven campaigns. Um, I'm talking today about Sly Flourish, um, and he has uh, developed a book called The Lazy DM, and uh, and the Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. There is a new book out based on what he does, called The Lazy DM's Companion. And this does focus a little bit on Dungeons & Dragons, but to be fair, you could probably expand it out to a number of different uh, settings and a a number of different systems. Uh, But The Lazy DM's Companion is a companion piece to his uh, guide, his his, um, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. And Mike Shea, who's the author, creates these fantastic... um, guidelines and different ways of looking at running role-playing games. Um, personally, I think he should be given the task of 6th ed D&D or whatever they're calling it, 5.5 ed D&D. Um, but 
it's another one in his in his, in his line. And this day, Lazy DM's companion has a whole heap of different stuff in it. Some guidelines on how to teach new players, how to generate some villains, good treasure generators. There's some guidelines on wilderness travel, uh, different theater of the mind based combat systems. If you're not using your grid and your little minis. Um, and a whole heap of different layers and different kind of um, li little short encounters that you can drop into a game. Um, he's kind of taken what he teaches in the in the Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and these are really great examples of how you might use it. Um, and so he's given quite a lot of extra kind of rules overlay. It's it's not huge. His guides are not necessarily big. This one's only fifty seven pages. Um, I got it as a PDF and also as a soft bound book. Um, but another fantastic uh, um, kind of uh, a guide by, by Mike Shea. And uh, any award-winning, I should say. This one picked up an any um, at Gen Con. So, uh, you know, very exciting time for him. And another great little little resource to use for dungeon mastering. You've had a read, Carl. What did you, what did you think? You've got a critique. Oh, well, um, who, who am I to argue with a, any award winner? But um, I, I read through it and it was, uh, there's a lot of material here and that's actually the only critique I have. A lot of the stuff is like one pagers of, yes. you know, and, and sometimes it felt like, and it was, you know, I, I read through it and I was going, oh, I just wish he would have explored this topic a little bit more. Give it two pages. Uh, like, for example, I was, I was reading through session zero and it was like, that's great, good information, but there's a little bit more to a session zero you potentially could talk about. I wish you would have. Mm. Um, but the material is, is spot on. I mean, it's, it's all things that uh, I nodded my head to for the things I knew. And then the things I didn't know was like, oh, I, that sounds like a good idea. It's just sometimes Oh, a little more meat, just a little more meat on the bone. And so I don't know if that's a critique or a desire for more. <laughs> so I, I, th so, I think it's so, a – go on. I was going to say, like, uh, so you, you guys seem very inspired by this. Well, is there any specific tip or trick that really stood out to you guys that would kind of – because like, so far I'm not really seeing, like, what, what was there anything that, like, what, what really – What the heck is this thing? Yeah, yeah like, what really kind of uh, – yeah. Um. Let's have a think about this. Uh, so, for example, um, and it, this is a good example, he does a fantastic guide for a an adventure, how to make an adventure itself. Um, let me see if I can find it. He says he says proudly and then is struggling to actually find the page. Um, and so all of these are little one-page guides. So for the how do you set up an adventure um, guide. God, where's it gone? Sorry, everyone. We might have to edit this bit out. Um Ah, here we go, as a quest template. So he, he suggests that there's 10 types of quests that you could do, 10, 10 templates of quests. There's kill a boss, find something, rescue someone, kill the lieutenants, destroy something, steal something, clear the danger, collect the key, defend a location, end a ritual. And he just provides three little sentences as an idea of, hey, if, you just, if you're stuck for ideas, you've got to quickly get a quest together, Here's some sentences about how you might quickly formulate an adventure around this concept. So kill the boss. It's simple quest design. Characters are hired or conscripted to hunt down a particular monster or villain in a location, then permanently in their threat. The boss might be protected by lieutenants and other minions. It's just kind of these little, they're little one-page guides. You just grab in, you grab the bit that you like the look of, and off you go and you run it. Um, further into the guide, there are actual kind of little scenarios, I guess. There's a random generator of what you could have and then little one-page dungeons. 
Ah, little okay. one-page maps, little one-page little bits and pieces. So there's a the Dungeon of Shadow here, which has got a little map, 10 little rooms, broad ideas about what might be in there, no rules, no stats, just here's a concept that you could grab and run with. Because all of what Mike Shea does is the idea is you've got less than an hour to prepare for a game. And this is the stuff you would just grab off the shelf and grab and run with and go. Um, and so I find it really, really amazing, really Got useful it. to, to okay. use. So almost it's like, Carl, your critique, which is certainly valid um, for you especially, but it almost seems like he made it these pages so short and easy to kind of reference because that's the kind of like, that's what it's for is for you to quickly get to a page and kind of be able to read it super quickly and then kind of have an idea and run from that. I guess that's the idea of the whole book is just to be a really easy thing to just just to, to grab it and go. And, so uh, yeah. here's another example: wilderness travel. Everyone struggles with wilderness travel. He's got a one-page guide on wilderness travel. He suggests give people three roles: the trail hand, the scout, and the quartermaster. Here's some rules about how you might deal with group stealth. Here's what you might want to create about the wilderness: a quick paragraph about weather, a partic- quick paragraph about encounters, a quick paragraph about placing notable landmarks you're out. So if you were looking at running a wilderness encounter, you'd just read this page, jot down a few ideas, and you're good to run for your session. So um, a very handy little guide, as is all of his guides. I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I use his uh, steps to create a session for all of my games in order to be able to kind of keep everything uh, you know, in my mind, really, because it's, it's difficult juggling multiple campaigns. But I think this works very well for someone who's just running one as well. Excellent stuff. Um, that's great. And then obviously there's two other books to take a look at and um, great stuff. Uh, he does a great job and, and don't take what I was saying. I think it was just, I wanted more. And that's uh, that's yeah. uh, that's saying something positive, I think. Um, so great stuff. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead. so the two other books uh, within the line are The Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, which is kind of the core book, if you can imagine it, as a pared down, I think it's 80-page Dungeon Master's Guide. And then there's the Dungeon Master's Workbook, which is kind of these fantastic templates that you can just fill in as you go just to kind of uh, help run games easier, which is um, what we're all about, really. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, hey, great. Um, so that is definitely a cool stuff found. So what do you say we get into the main topic? All right, everyone. Um, Tonight we are talking about kind of creating a campaign, starting a campaign. Um, I'll take kind of the, I do almost all homebrews, so I'll sort of take that that tact. Um, I think others might be a little more generic, but uh, that's where it is. So I think... Right. Let's start off when we started talking about creating a campaign. Um, you know, what are we talking about when we talk about a campaign? Maybe intuitively obvious to some, but just so that we set the stage. James, what do you just say? What's a campaign? What's a campaign? A campaign is an epic tale of role playing <laughs> proportions where you go from a minute little kind of underling and go right to world beating heroes. It's the level one to level 20. It's the extraordinary path of the hero's journey. It's what we do. It's linking adventures together into epic world crushing feats of bravado and somebody stop me. I'll rave on forever. Oh, I love, oh, so I guess I don't love really... big campaigns. So the episode's finished. We just move on because I think you, uh, yeah, you that was defined it. that. was it. <laughs> well, it's a, that's an interesting thing to talk about because not all campaigns are 
necessarily the full hero's journey oh, or, no. you know, well, they should 20. be. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, okay, I think the campaign know. is just related I mean, <laughs> adventures towards a central theme or arc <laughs> going towards a goal. Yeah. That's well, all, that's that, all a campaign old... is. It's also and like, too, I guess, yeah, but I, it could be much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's all different types of stories, but I think it's also like a sandbox campaign. We're not quite talking about like, and I think there's kind of an illusion with, things being like a total sandbox campaign or things being on, you know, a railroad campaign. I think yeah. campaigns generally, um, most campaigns, even ones that are written, kind of encompass both of those things in moderation or different parts. Um, so, yeah. But I, we're not talking about like a West Marches campaign. We're talking about more of a no. narratively structured campaign in this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's true. It's, it's linked together adventures that try and form a central narrative try and bring it together in into kind of a, a central theme and a central mood um when i look at campaigns for example I, I i learned some good stuff from world of darkness the uh the old um horror role-playing game that, that started up in the in the late 80s early 90s they use two fantastic techniques when they look at building a campaign called theme and mood where every story kind of hangs on your overriding theme and the overriding theme could be rebellion against the elders and all the adventures kind of work towards that. And a mood could be, um, you know, uh, a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And you can kind of add these themes and moods that, that allow a central uh, vision to appear through these interrelated stories as well. So in some ways, I like my campaigns to have a kind of central theme to, to them as well. So, so, so that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point. I think that leads right into the question of, um, unless Eric, you want to throw something else out there, but kind of where does the camp, where do you start? You know, the idea, yeah. the concept, what, how do you decide, um, and then I'm coming a little bit from the homebrew again, how do you decide where to start um, this idea generation, and, and I'll go ahead and, and jump in right away. For me, it's always been a topic I want to explore. You know, there's just something yeah. in my head. And so a lot of my campaigns revolve around almost, you know, I guess it's kind of that theme. They revolve around a thing like, well, what if, you know, civilization ended and we went into a digital dark age and all the information was lost and then people had to grow in technology and they finally got to a point. Wow, what is that going to happen? How does that look? You know, what happens if X? What happens Y? And that's actually a campaign I ran. And it was all about, I wanted to explore this idea and I don't write novels, um, thus the title. Yep. So I need someone to help me do that narrative with uh, putting some of, those, some of those ideas kind of on the table. Um, that's kind of where I start. I don't know. Um, where do you guys start? I'm in a little bit of a weird situation in that I run Dungeons and Dragons and um, and other role playing games professionally, so often I don't get a choice of where I start. I get clients <laughs> go, "We want to play this game," and I go, "I know I want to help you," and that's kind of where I work from. But even <laughs> in those situations, because I do a lot of published campaigns as well, I still think you've got to have your spark. You've got to have your idea. You've got to have your special take on even a published campaign, to make sure. it relevant to you and make it exciting for you. I think as a dungeon master, a games master, we want to we do stuff that excites us. We do stuff that we're really keen on and we're interested in because, let's face it, there's a hours and hours of research and, and preparation that you've got to do. If you're not excited by the concept, then you're in a bit of trouble. But even with, even with uh, published campaigns, for example, I'll take Curse of Strahd as a fantastic example. 
iconic horror campaign where you fight against a vampire lord. Even in that situation where it's quite a very specific theme and it's got a very specific story, I still try and tease out the theme for the group, if that makes sense. So, you know, this theme, the last Curse of Strahd game I ran, I offered up this group a number of different scenarios and they said, nope, we want to play Curse of Strahd. And I said, that's great, in which case you're a salon of literary book club lovers that you, you meet up every every Wednesday and start talking about literary works that you enjoy and one day you're going to get sucked into the mists and then you're going to have to deal with a vampire. So, we, so I still in, imposed a theme onto a group even when I don't get control over what it is I get to play. But um, that, that theme and mood is really, really important. The trick I find too when... when I, working out ideas is try not to get too narrow with that idea. If you've got a very singular concept, you'll often find it difficult to pad out and broaden into a bigger campaign. So uh, for me, it's about um, coming up with a, a nice broad theme that you can kind of uh, enact with. For Eric's game that I ran with Eric, we ran a Feywild game where there are three oppositional forces of magic in the world. There's the, the force of magic of an empire, the human empire, the force of magic from the Feywild, and the force of magic of hedge magic from this village. And depending on the strength of where the, the, the group put their power, the magical forces either ascend or decline. And that was the main theme for that game. And it worked really, really well. Yeah, and I can imagine for you, James, specifically, like, uh, you just like how, you know, you can see a play from two different directors and it can feel totally different or, you know, vastly different for, like, knowing your audience and who you're kind of playing to, like, because you can play, you know, one campaign with, say, 12-year-olds, right, and play another campaign with 50-year-old dudes and it's, you're going to yeah. probably approach that differently, right? Absolutely. Kind of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is a perfect example. I've run it for eight-year-olds and I've run it for 50-year-olds. So it's, um, yeah. the themes are very, very different. So the themes for <laughs> the, de the, for level the eight of desolation and, and yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. And, 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 I, and yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's far less um, uh, cannibalism in the in the seven-year-old uh, for some reason. I would I hope so. Why, but yeah, uh, that's right. Okay, now, I, so I, I don't know if I've I really want to ask too much uh, questions on that. Um, I don't know why 50-year-olds would be more into cannibalism, but I, that's that's not for me to ask. But um, gotta live on the edge. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 50. Uh, I don't I don't know, but anyway. Um, so I, I think we um, I think we I think you hit on a couple of things there. Um, you know, don't when I talk about that concept, you can see it's kind of my world is just a question. And then everything builds upon that question, but it's totally open to where the characters go. So it's it's important that you said you don't want to conceptualize yourself kind of into a box where there's nothing. I mean, you're you've already finished your your story, right? You you don't have anything yes. to tell anymore because you've already told it all. And and I see people get in trouble with that sometimes when they're they spend too much time building out backstory and before you, or lore, and before you know it, they've told all the stories and the history of the place, and it's like the history would be much more interesting. So, yeah, you want to be reflective. Into, with so, how do you players. build? You know, oh, go ahead. Well, can Eric. I can I just throw one thing oh, in? Oh yeah, go I, ahead, man. So, well, first I'm going to preface that I've only run two campaigns. Everything else I've done has been one shots. They're both homebrew campaigns, but just kind of on top of what you guys are saying, like, yeah, have your setting and theme. I think it makes it really easy to just in your mind or write it down, have your elevator pitch, just like you're pitching yes. to what, what, you know, executive producers for a movie, have your elevator pitch that will keep it, that will keep it kind of, um, 
consistent as far as theming goes. But like you said, James, it keeps it kind of broad and you're not overcomplicating it. So I think a good way is to kind of distill down your idea if you're creating a new homebrew everything is to have that elevator pitch. And that's like, you know, something that, what that means is if anybody doesn't know what that means, but if you're in an elevator with somebody, you have, you know, a minute and a half to kind of get something across to whatever, then that's what you would say. So I think that's just a strong way, at least what I do, just to have that kind of strong theme but not go overcomplicated with it. That, that, and I think that's how you sell your players, right? You have to have the elevator pitch yeah. so they know what you're trying to do, in a, in a sense. So, so we have this concept, we have this idea. Um, you know, whether it's it's you know defining a theme or or how a feel for a published adventure or a published uh, kind of module uh, set of adventures campaign would be, and then kind of the homebrew, how how you might think through that. Where do you, how do you build on those ideas? How do you take that concept and start making it something a little more concrete? And, and the caveats that maybe come into that. Um, uh, jump on I, I have a relatively structured way in which I build a campaign. Um, and a lot of it's informed by my man, Mike Shape, uh, Sly Farish as well. Um, <laughs> there, are some, there are some specific tools that I use when I start to put a campaign together. I do my hook, which is the elevator pitch, this kind of one-sentence concept for a game. Uh, for our Fate Touch game, for example, the hook was aid the village of Riverbend against extreme forces of chaos and order. That was kind of the, the hook. That was kind of what I needed to hang it on. What I do then is I then develop up what I call the six truths of the game. These are the six parts of homebrew or rules changes or just things that are within the world. Um, for the Fey game that we ran, uh, the Fey and mortals have known each other and aided each other for centuries. That's truth number one. Truth number two, packs between the Fey have led to prosperity but are slowly being forgotten. Fact number two. And I, and I kind of come up with these six truths of the world and then I give them to my players. So that then allows them instant access into kind of my thinking about what this campaign will do, which then lets them create stories that are linked directly to my campaign. Does that make sense? So I kind of provide them, here Here it is, here are actually the details of what we want to play. And what I'll do then is provide them with a little one-page sheet. The one-page sheet talks about here are the six truths, here's the theme, here are some restrictions I'm placing on race or class combinations based on that theme, and off we go. And generally, um, that's kind of the starting details of how that I'll put that out so that I can get that central concept well in my mind. Interesting. I, I love that. I love that concept of the six, six truths. That's not something that I typically have done, but um, you know, I know kind of in a session zero, there's lots of talking about how you're related to people, but I never really thought about that. So I learned something today. Now. Yeah. I, I, I would say that just from me coming from the player side again, and I've, play in a lot of games, I write a lot of backstories, that that definitely makes it much easier, especially before even coming into Session Zero, to have some sort of a backstory of how you really link yourself in intrinsically with the world. I think, James, when you did that, it was like a really, really easier start for me, definitely, to mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, here's a concept and here's how I can link in, in an interesting way and know, know my place. Because I think that's the hardest thing, if you don't know a setting too well, is kind of, as a player, is knowing your place in the world, really, you know, and most GMs don't have hours to spend with you, like explaining these things to you. So that, I think definitely, like you said, James, setting up something like that is, is extremely helpful for players to make a more dynamic backstory. Character. Interesting is I, I come from a different 
angle. I love the the six truth and some of that. I, I'll have to take advantage of that. But when I'm so again, this is f- completely from a homebrew perspective. I I come at it and I think, you know, so I have that that kind of key theme. Then I start thinking about what are the forces at work. You know, forget the players yeah. for now, but oh, what yeah. are the forces at work in this <laughs> world? What does this all mean? Um, you know, for example, in this this futuristic post-apocalyptic um, digital dark age, there's forces that are reawakening after thousands of years. Um, and the question is why and, and what do they want? Um, and so what's what is the core conflict that I think is going to exist? Now, that changes, right, based on the players, if they're doing certain things and, you know, we give them agency. But there's out there, there's antagonists, whether it's man versus nature, man versus machine, man versus man, man yep. versus monster, whatever it is. There's some kind of antagonist out there that's got a plan. They want to get it. It's going to happen whether the characters engage with it or not. Um, And then one of the big things that I I do, once I have all this idea, I try to put down on paper a couple of adventure ideas that work within that theme that says the players have a thing to do and it'll be this and this. And that gets me out of that model of getting too much you know, getting too much wrapped in my own head and saying, I've got it all figured out and this is what's really going to, oh, and they're going to, and then I step back and go, oh, wait a second. You can't play. There's nothing to do in this world. It's really cool, but there's not a lot to do in this world. Yeah, um, it's all been done. Yes. Yeah, I've already, I've already figured it all out. And so um, how does, and this isn't fully fleshed out. So this is, you know, just, the players might be doing this and this might happen. And then in the, in this post apocalypse I don't think, uh, you know, when you guys were playing it, one of the end games where you found an ancient city mm-hmm. that had all yeah. this technology and people who were being turned into, you know, Nanoku. creatures, you know, <laughs> nano creatures, you know, humans were being, that was it kind of in the beginning. It's like, you know, yeah. I want that to happen, but I don't know how you'll get there. I don't know when you'll get there. I don't know if it exists, but I know that's a thing you can do at some it's a point landmark in time. And, and, and yeah. At some point, it's a landmark. Um, yeah, can I, I want to throw, can I throw something good just off of you, Carl, because that's exactly how I look at things. And I have a tendency, you know, I think a lot of GMs, especially newer GMs, have a tendency to overwrite. Um, so I think a good thing to start with is what I think of it is, is a think big, but start small. Like, yes, like. Have your, especially if you're writing lore, all that stuff, you know, certainly, you know, have your main, like, write little, little tiny blurbs about your main cities, you know, and you have your meta narrative, like you said, Carl, but as far as building out the world, have just tiny blurbs on the main cities, have tiny blurbs on some of the main deities, whatever, stuff like that. But then actually spend most of your time writing out the local area where your players are going to start, because that's when they're going to be most exploring. I think a lot of GMs, when they're making a homebrew campaign, ha- have the tendency to start just writing way too much about the larger world and getting too crazy with, you know, different countries' conflicts and writing, like, you know, yeah. two pages of the, the timeline of punitive wars going, you know what I mean? It just gets too crazy. And then you kind of write yourself into corners like you guys were talking about. You don't actually flesh out enough for the players themselves. Um, and you don't want to start the players off. I mean, normally, right, there's some campaigns that can, but you don't normally want to start the, the players off of just having all the information at their doorstep already and knowing everything, right? Because that's not fun. Like you said, you want to start kind of, you want to have that um, narrative arc. You want to have that hero's journey. So I, I think, you know, thinking of the big things, having a meta narrative, thinking of the big things in your world, if you're, obviously, if you don't have a pre-written um, setting, um, but then really start to 
put most of your energy into locally what's happening around the players or where you think they're going to be, you know, going to, at least the beginning of the campaign. Obviously, they can branch off and then you have something to work with. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I kind of always have to find myself falling back on to keep myself in mm. in my lane, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Besides yeah. the advice, yes, and that's probably the second biggest yeah. advice people people give is is when you're starting a campaign, start local and then Small. build out. And part of the reason is when players change things or do different stuff, nothing's worse for somebody who's overprepped and world build and nobody ever goes to the place that they really, really yeah. wanted them to go. <laughs> and then yeah. and, and they haven't talked about the blank part on the map yet. So um yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um now I get a question. I, I couldn't agree with all of that all of that more, but um there's another element that I hang on to it as well, which is this broader three act play kind of concept as well. So one thing that I do is I look at the I try and visualize the entirety of the campaign at some point when I'm starting to develop the idea, and then I'll divide it into three. So uh and and each three should be its own self-contained story that if you had to, you could actually leave the game at that point. Because obviously campaigns are campaigns. They you know they can last, they tend to fizzle out. Scheduling conflicts make issues. So what I try and do is is provide a three-step storyline as if we were going to say, I'll give a DD example. You know, first might be we're getting to level five, and this is the story arc that we will get to to once you hit level five. The next arc might be level five to level ten, the one after will be ten to fifteen. But the idea being that here are the milestones, here are what the the bad guys are doing. Here's the fronts, is what I call them. These kind of, um, the, as you were saying, Carl, what is the rest of the world up to? What are the villains up to? And resolving an element of the story within those time frames, so that, that you've got some movement along the campaign trail. Um, I think, yeah. But apart from that, the, the the focus on small is really really important as well. Um, I call them spiral campaigns, where you start in the middle of the spiral, and as you take an arm. Then you spiral out from your home location, and you it, you you kind of uh, um, explore locally, and then you might move entirely, and then it repeats again. We have to you, you spiral out from yeah. your location again. I call I call that I call those when I'm doing it like chapters, and and Eric's seen that. Yeah. You know, I we get yeah. done with part of there. There's a I've accomplished something big enough that I feel good about what we are, and there's maybe other things going on, but now that's an end of a chapter. And you can at that time decide: Do I want to go on to the next chapter? Or do we want to do something completely different and start a whole yeah. whole new yeah. thing? But there's some closure there. It's the end of a TV season, you know. It's it's there's going to be a next season, but this is the end of this season. So yeah, definitely. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think real quickly because I think again, I think me and Carl are mostly talking about homebrew stuff, and so part of this is you know not just creating the actual narrative, but creating the world itself. Maybe talk a tiny bit about maps because i I mean we want we might have a whole separate episode on making your own maps because i'm actually quite passionate about maps um yep but i think <laughs> this is very hard but for me it makes it very easy like i almost think it's essential to have a map like personally i think probably just to get everything kind of you know where we, all the bits are supposed to be but again you can build out i think start, going back to what i said is you know thinking big starting local um or whatever um uh kind of the same thing with with maps too like if you're making your own, I mean, you don't have to do something super complicated. There's plenty of free stuff out there. Um, but it goes to the kind of same thing is have your kind of main area kind of mapped out more. You know, throw in names of cities. You don't have to even know what they're about necessarily to completely. Like you can just have, again, or you can have your just one sentence about them. So um, 
just just for maps, it, it's the kind of the same approach of it. It helps having kind of stuff around at the very least on the local level, um, but you don't have to write out everything. It, it definitely helps to write out more what players are going to be encountering. Um, and you can always do the the quantum ogre thing. I think even with maps or things where if players don't go to a certain place, like there's no reason why you can't switch the lore from one city that they don't know about to a What's different one. Right. So, railroading, Eric. Oh my god. <laughs> that's not railroading. That's just that's just <laughs> repurposing. Uh, the bait I mean, and switch. Carl, you've made a couple maps too, right? I don't know. We, we, we don't want to talk about this too long, but I, I think it is because for you, it's important for your campaigns too, isn't it? To yeah. Some sort but of map, my maps, so. they they grow. Um, yeah. So my, my yeah. I start with maybe I'm different uh, because I see a lot of folks when they're doing campaigns, they create a world map and then they the populate some yeah. stuff on a world map. I tend to not have a world map. I have a local map, area map, and then yeah. as you Go same. and explore. The map gets bigger, and you're right. There yeah. can be cities. You know, out there is the you know this the capital called X Y Z. I don't have necessarily have it on a map right now. Now that's tough when your maps are a thing, but I I try to avoid that if I can, um, and that's because again I play a lot of you know post apocalypse science fiction. You know, so you don't necessarily yeah. know everything about every planet. You don't necessarily know what's out there anymore um and that sort of thing but I'm, I'm sure in a fantasy game where there's some concept of the world there's maps right and and maybe they can be a little less detailed you know they don't show the mountains and all the passes and everything they're just kind of showing a general layout of everything so i, I so that's how i do it. I actually don't start with a yeah, really good no, map it, until i need it <laughs> and i think one I, thing to, I, if you're not doing a streamed game i just want to, just to finish this off you know, feel free to steal things. There's uh, so many maps yeah. out there that, <laughs> and and like like we said, you know, you don't have to have the descriptions of all those cities that are already on the map. Like, just you can wing it, or you can even steal like you know from the, the lazy deal. Like, there's plenty of little quick guides or things that you can kind of roll on to just kind of get a basic idea. But I think now we have such a plethora of things you can steal from that. Um, yeah, especially if you you're going to incorporate into right? your world. Yeah, fantasy is just got fantasy. nothing but yes. resources out there. Tons and tons and tons, right? Definitely. Sorry, James. So I have I develop up a map when I do my campaigns. It's not a world map similar to yours, but I actually also don't reveal it to players until they're ready to leave their town to go yeah. to somewhere else. So that what invariably happens, and I find this in particularly in character backgrounds. No one likes to just be from the village you're starting in. They just no. go, no, I don't want to do that. Absolutely I want to be not. from... And so you'll have this <laughs> to and fro questioning. Where where would I have come from if I'm a bad bounty hunter? Where's kind of the, you know, the nastiest settlement within the region? Well, there's this town over here and you kind of make a note of it. And then they'll build it into their backstory and then that becomes real. So then when you actually do put it on a map, you just plonk that little extra settlement in there to give it some sense. Yeah. And, and invariably you're creating a lot of a lot of these chats, these chats are creating the world. I don't know how many times we've talked about Hirschenberg, um, Eric, yeah. this kind we've, of city yeah. that we never visited, but we've kind of created what happened there through this discussion over a campaign, which is um, which is important. So that when we do visit it, you've got a lot of that detail ready to go. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's, that's one thing I forgot to say is that, and often with GMs like you and Carl, um, that you can have players take some of the load. If, if you're, you know, if you say, you know, come up with your own town and then you can still tweak it if you need to, but like, let them carry some of that world building load. Like I, you know, for me, I love doing world building even for games that I'm not in. So like, throw it to your players. If you're feeling overwhelmed, they can take part of that load up. 
Um, yeah, yeah it has been fun. I think I've done it with both both you and Carl. I think we've we've had both discussions about like places, and we've kind of built it out together um, based on the characters' needs and whatever. So that's a good point. And and I and interesting is with your experience, Eric. You you do backstories where you're all you're doing world building. You're saying I'm I'm creating. A, a, a secret society or I'm creating something that helps me. And then you can just take that and, and make that part of the world. Um, so it, it's as long as the GM's cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm a, if you found out one thing, I'm kind of flexible and I let people get away with way yeah. too much. So I don't really care. It's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with metagaming too. That's not, I don't get bent out of shape with it. So, <laughs> um, well, cool. Any, any other thoughts on, uh, kind of, taking those ideas, making them real, or do we want to talk about some tips and mistakes and things people might want to avoid um, in this area? What Maybe you- this is a tip. Maybe this is a tip. Uh, um, one last thing that I always try and do when I plot out my campaign, if I've done my three acts and I've now, so now I've shrunk it down into my one act, okay? So we're starting a campaign. My first act is going to be level one to five. The end will be a big battle with the with the underling front, the, the, the lower of the powers that are trying to influence the world. I will intentionally try and write a few peaks and troughs in there. I'll, I'll intentionally try and put some crescendos and low points into that initial planning so that you are prompted when you're coming up and fleshing out ideas to make sure that you've got some real things that you have to struggle against, but also some lighthearted moments. Because often that you'll find Often I find, unless I prompt myself to have these lighthearted elements within the story, it can get dreary quickly because I'll, oh, yeah. I'll kind of continue to add more and more bad stuff into the world. So <laughs> I, I kind of do this extra little bit where I just kind of make sure that I light a candle on the journey every every few sessions just to make sure everyone isn't kind of too morose by the time they play every <laughs> week. Important for kids' games too. Like I've got to make sure that for my kids' games, for example, there is something overtly silly every three or four sessions. So I have to make sure I write that in there as well. So we have a, a, a cake eating contest or a fart lighting contest or something <laughs> like that every every four sessions just to keep it pretty. I, I just think that's just good story building, like across the board. I mean, for me, my favorite shows are usually like com- dra- dramatic comedies because that's real life, right? Real life is not just drama. I mean, uh, or, or just comedy, you know, like they're, they're a mix. And even in the darkest times, like, I mean, I don't know how people want to go, but like, uh, I, yeah, I was going to go really, really dark here, but even, <laughs> even in horrible things, you know, people find humor. Uh, that's just a universal concept for humanity. So I, that is a really good uh, point, James, is that when you're, when you're making a story or you're, you know, co-opting a, a venture campaign, you want to have those mixed beats in because it'll keep it fresh. It'll keep it more realistic and people will be more engaged. So that, that is a really good point. James. Yeah. And, and just, uh, I, I listened to a couple of podcasts and there was folks who, they really got upset when people weren't continually, and this is for like horror or zombie or something like that. They really actually got upset that people were bringing some lightheartedness into it. Now, I mean, we're not talking Monty Python jokes, but you know, some, you know, but you got to relieve that, that stress. And so it's really interesting that you actually create adventure hooks that are very specifically around at the crescendo. Now we're going to take a break. And today we're, we're going to have a pie-eating contest that the king has ordered, and maybe that's important also to the story because they meet somebody they need. But whatever, it was just kind of a fun fun thing to do. So that makes a lot of sense. But there are people and, and who get – they don't like that. They want to keep the, the, the screws to players constantly. Ugh, so How boring. 
like I lo- one of my favorite films of all time is Aliens. I love it. Fantastic. Woo! But unless you had yeah. ridiculous, well, why do you put her in charge in the middle of it? It would just become <laughs> overwhelming. Like you've got to have yeah. the lightness to it. You have to. And that, and that, when you have the lightness, it makes the darkness or the heaviness yeah. that much heavier, that much darker. I mean, everything is counterpoints, you know, with us. So we have to have one thing to <laughs> it's, kind of reflect it's, off the others. It's so, like music, yeah. dynamic range. If everything's the sure. exact same yeah, yeah, volume, it, it loses some interest, right? So there can be no shadows without the light, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, cool. So let. So tips, right? Well, tips we started with mistakes that people are making. So how about some yeah, tips and some additional? Yeah. <laughs> I think we've covered a lot of it. The, the too much detail up front for me is the biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. And I, I fall into this trap too. And you, you just waste time. And and in my mind, it's often it's often lost work. The overcomplicated detail, the the uh, what is it, the trade delegation embargo situation from the yeah. Star Wars prequels, <laughs> where it's just like, what I've got to read what to to get into this story, where it's a twelve-page primer that that it, of all the intricacies of how all this stuff works together. I think that's a common mistake. Um, you really don't want to be drop. You don't, really don't want to be giving your players encyclopedic. Backstories, yeah, um, that they have to struggle. Gonna, with we're not going to read it. We're not going to. They're not going to read it, it. and they're not, not going to remember read. any of the detail of it. And then, no, so you're just doing it for not. yourself. So, um, so, I think I think that's that can be a, a strong so, issue. So I just want to I, I just want to uh, ask yeah. this question then. So for published adventures, so I'm running a published like setting right now, and there was like 20 pages because it was a setting, and these are things people are know that the that the folks had to read. Um. I didn't like that because there's a lot of stuff and then I'm boxed in and, you know, so um, do normally, do you see that in D&D adventures or a sort of open-ended and? Um, There is setting material in every published D&D game. I try and abbreviate that down to hell just to try and get it as short and sharp as I can. I, I try and get it down to a page. So a quick one pager of dot points that the players can get their head around and understand. All right, fantastic. Um, because because a lot, in a lot my of players, mind, yeah, uh, players have to lead the story, and a lot of what we're talking about here with let's let's develop our own ideas. It only survives the first minute of a chat with the character creation before it all changes anyway. Um, you might have an idea in mind, but then the the character selection of the players changes that idea unless you i mean you can try and guide them into it but it will still change it and then if you're running a player-centric campaign which i think is the most the the one that you really should be running is a player-centric campaign um any of that overt detail just gets lost because they're more interested in creating out their own detail for their own character and that's what should should um that's what should reign over over that stuff my mind yeah, I, I, as far as any other mistakes, I think this actually goes back to our one-shot episode. We brought up a lot of things there that apply just as strongly here. And one of the big things is don't write yourself into corners, right? We talked a lot about that, like narratively. Don't don't depend on, you know, like you said, a complicated backstory or discovering or going through tons of puzzles to get the one answer right, to move the narrative along. And I think that's, yep. you know, while it's important in a one-shot, I, I think probably more important in one-shot because you have such a limited time. It's it, it can be just as important in a campaign, and I have seen GMs kind of go up against that, and then kind of have to do you know some type of ob- obvious rigmarole to like that's kind of not fun for anybody to kind of get around to that. untangle so, their own their own problems. Yeah. yeah so again, difficult. don't don't make it so complicated. Don't rely so much on 
you know, to trying to figure out this one thing, always have other options, uh, be flexible with, with that kind of thing and different skills and all that stuff. I think you yeah, can just you listen to our one shot episode. Those all apply. You can't um, have continuity errors if you don't expose people to it to start with. Right. So if you make it overly <laughs> complicated and you add all this stuff in, well, you're, you're going to screw it up and you're going to have a continuity error and somebody's going to call you on it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think another one is, uh, you know, be flexible. Look at the quantum ogre. I mean, it's, it's a cliche for a reason. Um, don't get so stuck up on everything being where you had thought before. Like it helps with the campaign, especially if you're doing more of a sandbox campaign where you want them to kind of explore where they want to, right? Have that in your mind that you maybe even have stuff that can switch around easily. That's more generic because if, if that's the kind of campaign you want to run, then you're going to, you're just never going to have them go where you want to go, you know, most of the time, unless you're really, unless it's a, you know, dungeon, unless it's a really on rails type of thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess in that too is I try not to lock in my story or my themes or anything too much yeah. before character generation. You've got to get that, you've got to tease out what your player's going to do so that you can add that layer of detail as well. Um, important to incorporate them. So, so we touched on a few things just to reiterate for sure. You know, too much world building up front, start small, grow it. Um, the spiral campaign, great idea on, you know, the, the kind of the one pager with the six truths. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about kind of my approach of conceptualizing and then sort of thinking the big picture and making sure that you can do stuff within the big picture. But always, again, if you just have a big picture, you, players can do whatever they want and have agency within it and change the story because you haven't, as Eric said, you haven't painted yourself into a box yet or into a corner and have nowhere to go um so that's uh really good stuff um any so other is there more tips i think i think we have some more tips right yeah we yeah let's throw some yeah, more yeah, tips out tips. there yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a, a couple i'm not tips. done yet eric all right yeah okay uh one t- just one quick tip for me is i find it easy um is to already just again if you're kind of more of a sandbox campaign you know quote-unquote sandbox have some generic just doesn't have to be fully fleshed out, but like battle maps, especially if you're doing it online, I find have just a couple maps set up. If you need to throw them into a certain situation, you're not spending a lot of time finding a certain map or, you know, think of the kind of like the places that, you know, if it's a post-apocalypse, you know, you have your kind of like, you know, your dusty plain one, you have your kind of ruined cityscape, just have some generic ones that you can just kind of throw in and use. Um, Maybe set up, you know, some creatures first, just that you can kind of add or subtract, but just make it easy that I found at least that I could just throw in if I need to, if it's more of a kind of open sandbox, you know, quote unquote campaign. Um, And I also like to plan a little bit ahead. I like to have, for me especially, like I like to have stuff written ahead of time, at least, and and maybe even like a side quest kind of already completed in my, you know, Roll20 Foundry, whatever, have those maps kind of up and kind of have the idea for them if I need to, if the players need to, you know, are going to that. So I always have something. So if I am sick or, you know, whatever, I'm busy with work, whatever happens, I still have stuff prepped ahead of time. I think you, know, you don't want to find yourself without anything and you're kind of rushing around. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But, but um, the converse to that, too, is I try not to over prepare too much. And when I say that, all of my campaigns, I've only ever prepared two sessions from where we are now. So... Um, I've got my little every five levels kind of this is where I want it to go. But 
in terms of detail, I've I've no idea what's what my players are going to do beyond the next probably six hours of role playing. So I only ever kind of prepare two sessions: the the next three to four hour session we're about to play with the maps that's required, and the one after that because invariably after the first one something will have changed. And there is no way you can plan too much. So there's yeah. no way that you can plan for every eventuality. So yeah. for me, one of the big tips I do, only plan two sessions ahead of time. But do all those things that you were saying, Eric. I mean, uh, generically, having your wandering monster maps, having your yeah. NPC pictures ready to go, having picked the soundtrack for the region and have the big um, icon, iconic kind of magical items that you're going to find in that in those sessions. You know, do all that preparation first. But I think we've probably got a whole other episode on preparing a session, don't we? <laughs> we'll have to look at that at some point. Yeah, I, I think we're we're moving um, into session prep um, from uh, creating the campaign. Though I, I did want to mention that these, when I'm talking about kind of some of these conceptual, uh, you know, what can the characters do in the world, that turns into a couple of pages in OneNote with five bullet items, and that's enough for me yeah. to run an adventure. All I need is five bullet items, a map, and then, you know, I'm always looking at, like, our battle maps, and if I find an interesting one, I drop it in a folder. So to Eric's point, I have them, I have them ready. If I find one that's interesting, that piques my creativity, I can pull it in. But I, I really try, again, because the players are going to drive things, I really try to avoid having too much prep work done before I know somebody's going to end up where they're going to be. Um, and sometimes I even ask, yeah. right? It's like, are you actually going here or not? Because now I will get it prepped. Oh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At the end of every session, at the end of every session. Now, just confirming yes. you are definitely going to that town. Yeah. Okay, good. Just checking, you know. Yeah. You always have to do it. The worst I thing don't... is a group at the start of a session goes, we change our mind. We're not going there. It's like, to hell with you, lot. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I guess it's a shopping, I guess it's a shopping episode. Go ahead. Go to the store. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff here that we can have total separate episodes on. I mean, one thing that we bring up, I think almost constantly is session zero, um, mm. the importance of session zero, which I think we'll probably have to do a whole episode on, but that's, but that's another, that's another thing for starting the campaign is, is session zero. That's like we've talked about session zero is so important for the players, especially, and the GM to get it, to get kind of, um, a, uh, a hold on everything, make sure they really know and then creating their backstories. And I think for you guys, like I, I'll have to say you two are probably the best GMs that I've ever you know, played with that, oh, that really go into players' backstories and use those as narrative hooks. And, you know, I personally trying to you know, pride myself, but I really do try to give, you know, plain player hooks. And again, this can be a whole episode uh, on player backstories and, and giving jams player hooks, but um, you guys are really good at that of, of grabbing some player hooks and then working that into the narrative. So I think that's another thing to do is add your session zero. You know, make sh make sure you tell players, even if they write a huge backstory um, or a small backstory, have you know again almost like elevator pitch player hook. You know, from their backstory narrative hooks because it'll make it easier for you. To then just you know very simply look at it and pick it out like so make sure you tell your players you know make a couple layer hooks that are really you know separate on your backstory really easy really simple really to the point um, and that'll just be good for everybody and that makes it easier for you guys yeah um, a good TLDR right? too long didn't yeah. read if yeah. you got your too long of a backstory just you know get those key 
those key points out. And, um, well, even if they have characters. the long backstory, have it separate. Ha- have those yeah. kind of narrative mm-hmm. hooks separate, just so it makes exactly. it easier for them. And exactly, yeah. but but use them. I mean, the character backstory yeah. and the I lean hard into my characters. You know, the players that come up with because it's all about them. It's their game. They're having the they're having the fun time, and so any little tidbit that they come up with, they want to incorporate with their story. Have it manifest in the world. You know they're going to be receptive to it. There's going to be no yeah. pushback on it, and you know that that it's going to be a winner. So I grab all of those little details from backstories and just liberally sprinkle my world with them because it just makes for a fun game in their eyes. There's no question. The other little tip that I use as well, and and I think we've talked about this before and there's probably another episode on villains we can use, (laughs) is uh, the idea that the villains or these fronts are moving independently of the PCs so that they have their agenda, they will do what they will do. And that that way you can continue to have repercussions within your world, and you can, can you can continue to refill the well of ideas in some ways because you know that the villains are doing certain things. I also make sure that the other powers within the world are also responding to that. So if the you know there are kingdoms of righteous that might be helping to rise up against the the villain as well, there there are secret societies that might be working against the villain, um, and having them run counterintuitively, uh, counter uh, counter. Um, uh, God, mental blank, uh, running counter espionage, so to speak, as, as they go through. So making sure that the rest of the world is moving independently of the yeah. characters. And, and that's called the living world concept, right? I mean, the world yep. the world mm-hmm. should exist without the characters doing something. Um, and it can be little stuff too. Um, you know, maybe this is getting off track a little bit, but, um, you know, just that the, the, the guy who owned the store doesn't own the store anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and someone else does, right. and, you know, because because some event happened that the players did not know about. So, anyway, that's that's, that's probably cool. a little yeah. more beyond kind of creating a campaign. Eric, you want to throw something in there? Uh, well, the only thing, I mean, again, there's not much to this, but coming from a player side to join a campaign, there's not a ton to do, obviously, except for you know, read what the GM gives you, you know, understand the campaign. I just far as a hint goes. For the, at least what I've done when I come into a new campaign that's, especially like you said, you got your guys' campaign, which you put a lot up front. You have your elevator pitch, and it's obviously, it's a, it's a big uh, undertaking for you guys. Um, I find it easier when, when coming to a campaign that if I know the kind of, the, the elevator pitch and the setting, I often might watch a movie or like read a book or watch a TV show that's kind of themed based on that. That helps me get into the mindset. Like before we did um, the pirate um, game for you, James. Yep. I actually watched a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean movies just to <laughs> just to get into like the theme yep. of that and kind of see you know what are some character archetypes that I could draw draw from and like um, uh, yeah and I think with some of your like I watched some cyberpunk stuff before yours Carl so that's just something that I do um, if you're kind of struggling to kind of like or what you know again that's probably more than you need to I just find it fun and kind of immersive to do that um, and then again getting to session zero and then you know don't come with too much of a concept before session zero, like, you know, maybe you have your class, but again, be, be flexible as a player mm-hmm. and, and come at to with a little, you know, have some strong ideas, but then, you know, I, I found the best characters when I've worked with the GM and we've been fly- bounce ideas off each other and they've really evolved. Like in like that seafaring game, like I had crazy idea. It was a long backstory, but me and James really bounced stuff back and forth. And my character actually changed a lot in a different direction that I normally wouldn't have done, and was more I said religious. No, Seventeen times it was, was great. No, was more, he was way more religious no, than no, I thought. No, but that I thought he would no be. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
yeah, so that's just a, I mean, again, I don't know how useful that is, but that's just a tidbit on the, on the player side, as it were. Well, well I um, think you're, you're getting they, into the point of, as a player, buy-in, right? You know, yeah, if you yeah. understand it and you're, you, you like what there's, what they're talking about and you're coming to session zero, buy into it, understand that there's other players. And so your backstory lines with it, backstory aligns with, you know, you're, you're not, you know, a, 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 a water vapor farmer if it has nothing to do with that and you can't force that point. Right. So, um, yeah, I think from a player standpoint, just buy in, you know, like the, the game masters put in a lot of work. Hopefully they're working with you on backstory and, and bringing your ideas in. Um, but in the end, um, you know, immerse yourself. I have a, a, a last potentially controversial tip. Uh-oh. Oh boy. Um, uh, and this, this tip is, I don't like ongoing campaigns. I don't like campaigns that are designed never to end. The ones that oh, just continue I'm, on. I'm to clapping right 20. now. Yep, I'm clapping. Ooh, that's uh, not controversial. For, for, <laughs> for me, I try panel. and limit my campaigns. <laughs> I, I try and limit my campaigns to one year. Um, it sounds a bit weird, but I actually find it's easier to pitch to players to say, hey, yeah, we'll play this for a year. We'll play this every two weeks for a year. And they mentally go, that's 25 sessions. I can do that. Let's do that. And then you set it up so that it has a fantastic end to the campaign during that year. Everyone, everyone feels refreshed and great. And then they go, right, what are we playing next? And it allows you to keep it fresh. Yeah. I find the concept of a, of a campaign going into year two and year three I struggle with. I just struggle with the mental load of that. So keeping it nice and short, keeping it within a year, having so, it end, mwah, chef's kiss when it comes to campaign. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting. Yeah. What the story, when the story is over, whether it was 25 sessions or I think we had one that went year and a half, but when it's over, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of when it happens. And I, yeah, it's folks who said I've been playing the same campaign for 20 years, you, you honestly, oh, you have not me. been playing the same campaign for 20 yeah. years. <laughs> Maybe the same characters, but it's not the same campaign. But well, that's anyway. the, it. Goes back to, and I think this is a Savage World mindset too. But when you, I mean, it, it's applicable anyways, right? TV shows and movies, like TV shows. There's TV shows that are really good, but they've been they go on too long, and then at yeah. the end of it, you're like, that show wasn't as good. You know, because it went on too long and and just lost its lost any impact. It lost its cohesion. It lost all that stuff. So I mean, think of it that way, and it really makes more sense. I mean, I think you can do younger than longer than a year if you have the right type of campaign. I mean, our Fate Touch campaign went over a year, and we're still and it we have like I mean, it's almost like kind of three separate campaigns linked, but but we have this very very strong you know here's an ending point. This is the next sequel to the movie. And we yeah. haven't actually faced the main threat yet, the, the whole meta threat. So you can do it where it's longer, but you make, you know, you've made it so it's a very distinct, like, here's the beginning and the end. This is a good, strong end. Um, there's obviously still the main threat, but it's not what those open-ended campaigns, like you said, where it's just like, well, let's just come up with a new adventure and a new adventure. I mean, that's just, yeah, you know, that's just, that's just not fun. And it's, it, it, <laughs> it takes away from the memory, you know? Like, it's like I said, it's like, the American office, like that should have ended in season seven. Like don't, you know, yeah. three if you're not from America. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not, yeah, I agree with you there. I did love the British office one. So. Um, and it's funny. It, it, obviously it's systematic. It's system dependent. Like you cannot yeah. play Call of Cthulhu for a year. The, your yeah. characters don't survive that long. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It's kind of, it's one of those things. I'm really, or like, or like a, a apocalypse engine games. Like those, those cannot, yeah. those are designed to not go on like that long. Like there's just an end point. Um, yeah. 
All right. So um, any last thoughts or we can we'll wrap it up. I think that was a really good conversation. I'm uh, last thoughts is run more campaigns. Seven is not nearly enough. Run more. <laughs> well, you, I mean, that's that's one a week, one a day. So I'm sure you're yeah. doing multiple, yeah, multiple a day, times per day. So, he does multiple yeah. Yeah. a day. <laughs> right. He'll finish ours. He's like, yeah, I'm in an hour. I'm running this one. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of work yeah. for me just to keep up on one. And then, <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm actually leaving this to do character creation for a guy who's running my Monday <laughs> campaign after this. So. All right. Well, I guess I guess he's uh, giving us the hint that we should wrap this up. Yep. So, <laughs> so, hey, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, I really hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com. Again, Mastering the RPG is all one word. Um, and you can see the other projects we're working on, um, see our background, uh, drop us a note, uh, support us, all that good stuff. Um, and if you do want to drop us a note and even ask us to adjudicate a problem, I, I think Eric would really love for you guys to drop a note that. so we can adjudicate a problem you have. I'm very opinionated about problems. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's the problem child. Wait, that didn't, that, is that really how that's no, supposed that, to go? No, that works. Okay. I have no siblings. So, <laughs> yeah, so, that so, works. so go ahead and send that email to GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. So GameMaster is one word. Mastering the RPG is one word. And we'll, uh, we'll get you on the show and talk about uh, the topics. So again, um, I'm Carl with Eric and James. 